Thanks for listening to this message from The Block KC. The Block KC exists to help young adults build their lives on what counts. We believe that is Jesus and what God has revealed in His Word. We'd love to see you next Thursday, 7 p.m. at Lenexa Baptist Church. Now, let's listen to this week's message. What's going on, Block? We doing good? It's good to be back. I've missed so many of you guys. It's been, it's been too long. It's like, you know, Nick's like, I got a job. We don't need you anymore. He's like, like we keep, oh, no, just kidding. Just kidding. And now he thinks he's all cool because he's married now. I, he's like, I'm married. He's like, my whole life has changed. I said, just, just you wait, buddy. Just you wait. It's going to be great. No, just kidding. Super excited for you guys. Um, I, I hope that you have a good hurricane story. We were just talking. I was like, uh, talking to Luke Hoagland's wife, Bailey. I was like, do you have a hurricane story? She's like, no, other than being in Manhattan and how it floods all the time. Does anybody, anybody go to K-State? Any K-Staters in the house? I totaled my car in flood water there because of the stupid, like, like I, I don't know, something about it. So, yeah, I'm like, that was my hurricane story. I ruined my car driving through flood water. So that's it. Never been in an actual hurricane or a tornado. Kansas native, though. Um, but, guys, it is good to be here with you guys. It's great to be back. Um, and, and partner with you guys going through this James series because um, James is an amazing, amazing book. Uh, it's actually one of my favorite books of the Bible. Um, and so what, what week of our James series are we in? Our fourth week. So you guys hopefully, uh, uh, how many of you guys have been to at least one of the other James series? Show of hands. That's a lot of you guys. And so hopefully you're picking up that, that James. I don't know, like, it's, sometimes it's kind of fun for me to read my Bible to be in the story and be like, I wonder what this person was actually like. Um, and, I, you know, like, this, I don't want this to come across the wrong way if you feel like you're this kind of a person in your friend group. But does anyone have that friend who has, like, zero emotional intelligence and will just be, like, insanely direct with you? You know, that you're like, you know, they text you, hey, what are you doing this weekend? And then you're like, haha, I'm actually busy. Not that I don't want to hang out with you. But then, like, they see you Monday. They're like, why didn't you text me back? What were you doing? It was, it's been four days. You know, you know like, you're like, I don't know what to say. I feel so awkward. I don't want to hurt your feelings. But I feel like James is kind of that guy. Like, every sentence is like four words. He's like, you suck. God is awesome. Change your life. End of story. You know, and like, so I was, especially as I was doing some study for this, it kind of, I kind of resonate. Um, I do student ministry. Does anybody serve with middle school or high school students in their local church in the room? There needs to be more of you. They need you. These, this generation is so screwed up. These poor kids, uh, they're crazy. Uh, but I love that about kids. Like, middle schoolers are the best. Like, middle schoolers will tell you, they are like, it is like, their life is like that. Like, they will tell you anything if they don't like you. Like, they, if they just don't want to talk to you. I, there's this girl named Kylie. I walked out to her on Sunday morning. I'm like, Kylie, what's up? She goes, like, no words, walking away. I'm like, what human being over the age of four does that? Only people between the ages of 10 and 13, I found. But it's like, kids are awesome because they just tell you how it is. Like, they're just straight forward with you. And as we've been studying in the book of James, like James is kind of like that. And it's kind of an intense book, like brutal honesty. He's that kind of a guy. And the, and the book is full of some amazing things, some powerful truths of God's word, some strong commands, some huge encouragements. Um, but tonight, as we're going to see, some kind of strong warnings 
Um, uh, and, and when you think of warnings, um, I, it kind of makes my mind wonder, like, like, like different warnings you've seen. You think of a warning label, you know, like, does anybody actually read the warning labels on anything? Um, some of them are awesome. I, I should have taken some time to get some slides. Like, you know, like you get like a knife at the store. They're like, do not swallow. You're like, <laughs> like who, why was that? Need, you know, like, I, I kind of want to go back to different, like, um, items and be like, what was the origin story of why they had to put do not swallow knife onto the package? You know, like, because you know there's probably some, like, actually really stupid person that was like, yes, I did lick my curling iron. Probably shouldn't have done that. But um, the Bible is full of warnings like that. And the book of James is full of warnings like that. Um, and, and, you know, like, honestly, the Bible's usually more straightforward. It's usually more to, like, warning, don't be an idiot with your life. Um, and we're going to look at some warnings kind of like that tonight um, in the book of James. Um, but I have a question. Have you seen a warning sign in your life? Maybe you've been out with some friends. Maybe you've been doing an activity. You saw a warning. Maybe not to go somewhere. Or like a, maybe, maybe by, by chance you were driving your car and you saw a speed limit sign. And you're like, you know what? Screw it. And you just gunned it. Like, I mean, raise your hand if you've ever saw a warning sign and you just completely disregarded it and you just kept, kept going. Yeah, that's probably all of us. I thought I'd share a story that I have with some of my other, some of my other pals that I went to K-State with. So um, I, w- I went to K-State. I was a part of a college ministry. I, went to, I, was, a, a, I was pretty connected with, with student mobilization up at K-State. Anybody can, been, been connected with that ministry anywhere? I know we got some, a few roots in the house. So I did their summer little project program thing a couple summers. And the second time, um, I was leading a little small group. Luke Hoagland was leading a little small group that summer. And, and one of the weekends, they just give you a couple dollars, and they're like, just leave you know, just like leave Gulf Shores, Alabama, go have fun somewhere. So we went to uh, around Atlanta. We'd had this like epic hiking trip. We had a blast. And that night after the hiking trip, I think maybe it was probably like Friday afternoon, we decided to go. One of, one of our guys is in a fraternity. He's like, oh, I want to go see the fraternity house at University of Georgia. And while we're driving through Athens, one of the brilliant guys in our um, group text or our group me was like, hey, let's go check out the football stadium. And we're like, yeah, sure. And, and then he's like, no, like, let's, go, let's go check out the football stadium. And then we're like, I'm like, well, you want to go look at it? He's like, no, let's break into the football stadium. And I'm like, oh, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, right. You know, so like we, you know, that's what we did. It was like, so, we're like, yeah, it's summer. What, what could happen? So we break in, and we like, we're like playing ultimate frisbee on the field. Like, I'm pretty sure like somebody's like defecating in the corner. Be like, yeah, take that. George, you know, like, I don't know what was happening, but we're like having a blast. And then we leave, and there was no problems. We're like, easy, dude. We're going to break. We're going to do this again. And the next day, we went to church in the morning because we were Christians. We were on, like, the ministry trip. And we were like, you know, it's like, and, like, as a, if you're trying to follow Jesus, there's only, like, so much legal fun that you can have. And it's usually really stupid illegal stuff. So we just, like, redlined that. And we were like, let's go to Georgia Tech and look at the, look at the campus. And one of the guys like, you thinking what I'm thinking? We're like, yeah, let's get in the stadium, you know. And of course, there's warning signs. There's also padlocks and gates and walls. But we're just, like... Mission Impossible onto the field, do the same thing. And we're like, we can do this. We are invincible. We, no one can stop us. You know, we get in our cars and we're driving back to Gulf Shores. And then we, uh, we keep seeing signs for Auburn. And we're like, yo, it's like second biggest stadium in the country. It's like Mecca. You know, and then we, somebody was definitely texting in, like, on our car caravan, like, you thinking what I'm thinking? And we all pull off. And, and it's like, it, we didn't have a sign. But I remember there was like a 100-foot retaining wall and like a 50-foot fence and we're like, we'll figure it out. And we, and we did, and we found a way. We shimmied across this thing, went in. We were there, like, way too long, like, two hours. We're just like, I don't even know what we were doing in there, like, running around. And, I, you know, and we're like, yeah, it's probably time to get back. And we go down, 
hop on the concourse, me and one of the other guys, and there's like six freaking Paul Blart mall cops on segways. And we're like, oh, no. And then I left everyone, and I, no, I did, I did not ditch everyone. I fessed up to it, I promise. I did not do that. The best part, though, um, was like the cops were like, you know, like, what are a bunch of guys from Kansas and Missouri doing here, and why are you breaking into the stadium? And one of us was like, I can't remember who in our group was like, we're a part of a discipleship and evangelism program. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, what do you say? Like, what you're doing there? We're not going to lie. So it was like one of the most humbling moments. Um, and, then, and then they kind of got a chuckle out of it. They're like, fine, you guys didn't break anything. Here's a couple tickets. We go on the app. They're like $600 a piece. So we were all like, that was all my summer savings. You know, so um, that was a story of me having some warnings of repeatedly of not following them and experiencing um, some, pretty, some pretty heavy uh, consequences of that. But to connect it with you guys, I, I think if we're honest as young adults, as young professionals, we have a lot of warning signs in our life, in our spiritual life. Do you guys agree? And they come in all sorts of forms. They come in sometimes your friends who try to give you wisdom, maybe your parents, you know, so if you're, if you're wise, you're probably starting to be like, okay, maybe my mom does have some good advice for me, you know, that maybe you have, you've, you've strayed from her in the past. You know, they come in form of mentors and pastors, and, and as we're going to see tonight, in God's Word. I mean, and, and they, have, they kind of have a progression, right? I mean, guys in the room play along. Have you ever, like, gone on a date with a girl? You're like, you've gone on a few, and you're like, it's time to start introducing you to some friends, but you're, like, not sure about it. And then you, like, introduce you to your friend, and you're like, dude, what do you think of her? She's like, yeah, she's great, a little crazy, like, a little, she's cool, we'll see. You know, it's like, that's, like, mild warning sign. And then you, like, go to dinner with your mom, and she's nice, and afterwards she's like, I don't approve. <laughs> you know, like, is there any guy in the room who had this happen? I feel like that was, like, every girlfriend I had before I had my wife. You know, and then, it, then you meet your pastor, and he's like, well, what's the wise thing to do? Ephesians said, you know, like, it's like full pastor mode, like, on your wisdom. You know, like, like, the warning's, like, nice, but it's a little more direct. And then you read God's word, and sometimes there's just scripture that's like, don't do that. Right? Has anybody felt that? Has anybody experienced that? Like, so the question for us tonight is, what do you do when warning signs show up in your spiritual life? I mean, I shared my stupid story about breaking in the stadiums because that's really not that big of a deal. It costs us some money. But, like, when you think about your spiritual life, what do you do when warning signs come? Because I think for, if we're all honest, a lot of us have a tendency to listen to advice that we like and maybe park some things on the side that we don't. And we come up with a lot of reasons and excuses for why we don't listen to warnings. Some of us might be because we don't trust that the person that we're talking to really knows what's best for us. Some of us, I feel like, and I've been here too, way too many times, I'm different. Like, I know that's good advice, but, like, I'm not going to go that far. Like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to get caught up. It's not that big of a deal. This, I know it's probably not the wisest choice, but I'm still going to do it anyway because it's what I want to do because I'm special and I'm better than everybody else. Like, I don't say that, but I think it in the back of my mind. And some of us maybe think that who we're getting advice from has motives for our life that we don't really trust. But fortunately for us, I think when we're navigating through life, that we have God's word to tell us truth, that while it might be hard, it can give us some clear warnings. And I want to challenge and encourage every single one of you today, whether you're like, I've been in church my whole life, I've heard a million sermons, I know kind of where this is going, or you're the person who got invited here tonight and you're really genuinely like, I'm not following Jesus, but I'm really curious, and that's why I keep coming to this thing on Thursday nights because I'm really trying to figure out the claims of Jesus, and if he's somebody I want to be committed to, I want to encourage wherever you are 
to have an open heart to the wisdom of God and his word. Because I will tell you from personal experience that in a world and in a culture where you can find a voice or a podcast or whatever to fulfill any kind of worldview that you want to find, that God's word is one of the last places in our world to give you something to hold on to that's true. And I believe with 100% because I've experienced it, that God's word will point you to a God that is real, that genuinely cares about you because he created you, because he knows what you really need, because he knows what you really want. And those are something, both things that God cares about. And I really believe that the wisdom and the truth of God's word will shed light and hope into your life when we live in a world that's filled with darkness, when nothing is true around us. And in this section of James that we'll be looking at tonight um, uh, is in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you're like an iPad kind of iPhone person, version, whatever, like that's kind of more my speed. Um, you guys can, you know, I don't know, tap there. What's, what's the term? Whatever you would want to do. But in the ESV version, whether you have a physical one or even on like, you know, your digital Bibles, there's a title. I didn't have like a cool title for the sermon, so I'm just going with the title in ESV that says, Warnings Against Worldliness. So let's read the text and see for ourselves a few things. It says, What quarrels, uh, what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Let's pray and ask God to give us some wisdom as we dig into the text for tonight. God, we are so thankful that we can be here together. Um, God, as, as a part of your church in this place, as young adults in, in, in our city that are trying to seek after you, um, and navigate this world and navigate this idea of, of what we were going to choose to pursue, God, if we're going to pursue godliness and pursue you or we're going to pursue this world and, the, and, and what our culture and what really is in your word is described as worldliness with our lives. So, God, I pray that as, as we study your word that you would speak clearly and you would give us wisdom um, tonight directly from you and your Holy Spirit. And, God, I pray that you give us open hearts and open ears and open minds, God, to what you have for us. And everybody said... Amen. We see in this passage, warning sign after warning sign of the dangers uh, of what we're talking about tonight, which is this idea of worldliness. And to me, there's, there's several big, you know, almost warning signs, directives that we're going to look at, four of them in this passage tonight that are my four main points. If you're kind of an outline taker, you can get ready for four points um, that we're going to look at to avoid worldliness and to avoid going down a path of really what that means, away from God and godliness. You know, I read this great book, Pursuit of Holiness, that talked about, you know, like the difference between worldliness and godliness. I never had anybody explain this to me, but it made so much sense. It's like, it's like a path that you want to journey down. 
It's not, are you worldly or are you godly? It's which path do you want to keep taking steps down? And as a Christian, the call is to be as much like God as we possibly can be, as much like Jesus Christ. And it's a path that we walk down. So I want to encourage you to think of that as a framework as we're going through this and, and with this idea of worldliness because there's so much that fits into that, uh, of pursuing things of our culture, of pursuing things that God's Word describes as sinful. So I don't know if that's a helpful frame for thinking through worldliness, but the first warning that we see in our passage there in verse 1 is to pay attention to your passion. For taking notes, is to pay attention to your passion. It says, what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And you might not realize this, but there is a war that is going on inside of you. I don't always think about that. I think it's like, well, I know what I should do, but, you know, like, I think of it almost more as like, it's kind of just like a little something that's going on. It's intention, I feel. But like, when we look at this passage, it's like there is a war that is going on inside of you. James here refers to a war between what he calls passions. And I think that he opens up this section of his letter for a reason because he wants you to say, hey, as we talk about this, you need to pay attention to what's happening on the inside of you. Going, going on inside of each and every single one of us, if you're a, a Christian in the room, and that's an important distinctive, because when you make a decision to follow Christ, as the passage is going to tell us a little bit later, that it's, it says that God fills us up with his Holy Spirit, that God's presence is with us when we've made a decision to follow Jesus. And when that happens, if you're a Christian, and uh, is there anybody that this maybe, I don't want to say raise your hands, I just want to encourage you, if you've been a Christian maybe a little bit later in life, like maybe not just as a little kid, I feel like I love hearing stories of people who started following Jesus later in life because it's like th- their whole framework, they're like, my life radically changed when the Holy Spirit came into my life because I saw so many things about my life that were worldly that I didn't even realize before. And it's hard if you grew up in the church. Like, I grew up in the church. I got baptized when I was seven. You know, like, I, you know, like, Jesus has always been a part of my walk. And my experience with that has changed. But there's something that happens when we're filled with the Holy Spirit is that there starts a war that's going to happen inside of you between the spirit that God has given you in the calling for your life to pursue to become like Jesus Christ and what the Bible calls your flesh. It's like the, the, that part of you, that sin nature. I don't know if you guys have talked at all about that in the series. But that we all know that we have this pull to worldliness, this pull to pleasing ourselves and not doing what God wants us to do, but doing what we want to do. It's, it's, in the, it's in the book. It's in the story of Genesis. Like that's from the very beginning. And, and it reminded me of a passage in Romans chapter 7. If you want to turn there, you can. In 7 uh, verses 21 through 24 where Paul talks about this. He says, so I find it to be a law. Like in in our language, he's like, I just, you can't get around it. I feel like it is what it is that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. He's like, there's just some tension there. He says, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And when he's talking about members, he's not talking about gym members. He's talking about his hands, talking about his feet, talking about his eyes. I just keep looking at stuff that I shouldn't look at. And I keep doing things that I don't want to do. And I know that God wants me to be loving to people, but I just want to freaking punch people in the face. And I know that I shouldn't lust, but I feel like it's just, it just keeps coming back. And like, like this is Paul. Like, he's like the, the ultra-Christian church planter. And he's like, I feel the war going on inside of me. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Like, that's, a, that's the, somebody writing who's, like, feeling it. 
And I just want to challenge you to be aware of that. Like, how have you felt that battle inside of you? Like, I know I feel that all the time. My whole Christian walk, I felt that. Like, it is hard to do what God wants you to do. And I'm encouraged by this. I think it's easy to read books, kind of like James, like, you know, where, where he's just like, it's just punchy and it's hard and it feels like, it's like, gosh, this is just rough to read. But I, I, I try to frame it in a way of like, we have to be aware of what's going on inside of us and understand that like God sees that, that God's word is a gift to us to reveal our weaknesses so that we can start to change those things. And this is really one of those passages And we see it all over our life, like even in the good things. That's why James says, he's like, even something like prayer. He's like, when you pray, you're praying for the wrong motives. Like we get so twisted up with our actions and our motives when our passions are at war with each other. And when we're losing that war to the passions of our flesh. So what's our takeaway for this first point? What's maybe an application point? I just want to challenge you to do some self-reflection and know your passions. Like see the patterns of the passions that are in your life. And this is really, like, this whole section, I feel like, is almost kind of like a rebuke. And that's not really a word that we use, but that's like a Bible word for just a hard word for the purpose of correction. And so I hope, I don't want to try to beat you up. That's why they brought in the guest speakers, so, like, you don't have my email. So, like, you know, if you feel like, gosh, that was a rough sermon, I'm like, I don't, yeah, I'm just going to leave. And, you know, I guess you can find me on the internet or something. Um, But I'm just saying that to say that it's not easy. Like, it's not easy to look at your life and to look and see patterns of sin in your life. Like, that's a very uncomfortable place that most of us don't want to go. But my encouragement is to please, in your heart, and maybe in your journal, or whatever that's going to look like with the Lord during worship later, to just be honest with yourself, and to be honest with God, and to just to pray and invite God into this space, because there's a war going on inside of you, and my encouragement to you is that Jesus will and can win that war if you invite him into that space. But you got to let him into that place first. The second warning that we see from this passage is to love God and not the world. To love God and not the world. Verses 4 and 5 say, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And I just have a question. Is anybody here in a, in a relationship, dating, married? You don't have to raise your hand. You can if you want to. Like, um, I'm going to show a picture of my wife and I up here. This is uh, my wife, Robin. And so I wish she was here. She's not here tonight. She had another thing for, at the church she had to be at. Um, but as a married man, like I've been married to Robin. We were just talking about this with the, our guy who's playing keys up here earlier. Um, for almost seven years. And I think now, like every, the longer we get, we've been married, the more I feel this. Like, I think what would be the hardest thing, like, ever to my character is if someone accused me of being unfaithful to my wife. Like, that would crush me. Like, and and I think about if I actually was, like, if I were to cheat on my wife, like, that would crush her. And the only reason I'm bringing that, like, even that, like, awful scenario into this is because, like, that's the opening statement of this section like, it's so easy to read your Bible and be like, that's kind of weird and uncomfortable. And but, like, what is he really saying? He's saying, you adulterous people, you are a cheater. I'm like, James, dog, like, that's tough. Honestly, I'm like, what are you, like, really? Because I, have, I got a little bit of sin in my life, I'm a cheater? Like, what are you talking about? And he's saying that to the Christians that he's writing to by saying, you are letting sin in your life. 
And he's challenging them, saying, like, with what he calls friendship with the world. And being okay with that and letting sin and worldliness hang out in your life and letting that be a part of your lifestyle. And you're like, well, I can still follow Jesus. I'm just, you know, it's grace, baby. But I, I can still keep this here, and God loves me. And forgive. He's like, James is calling that type of thinking and belief out. And he's saying, like, having friendship with the world, and I know this sounds really extreme, so that's your preface, is like cheating on God and having sex behind God's back with the world. Like, that's what he's saying. Like, what a brutal thing. It seems graphic. But, like, he's saying when we choose to reject God's command of pursuing holiness and godliness and chasing after worldly things and rejecting the wisdom that you guys have been talking about in the book of James, that it's like we're cheating on God. And I just want to, like, this is, like, basic Christian doctrine, but I think it's important to talk about. Like, and it's easy to breeze over this. I don't know what your church tradition is. I come from a church tradition that talks about baptism very heavily. That says when you are baptized into Christ, that we are baptized into his death, that we are unified with Christ. Then we tried to explain baptism. We just had a missionary come, and he said, like, when they're in Africa and they're baptizing people, they're like, are you willing to reject all other things to follow Jesus before they dunk them? And you know, he talked about a story of this guy who was a part of doing all this witchcraft stuff. And before he got baptized, the dude went back home. He got all these books, and he went right back to the tub. And he threw all of his witchcraft books in a pile, and he lit it on fire. He says, I'm doing this because you told me that because I'm in Christ, I'm a new creation. And I'm like, dude, that guy gets it. Like, that guy's for real. Like, that guy understands when I get baptized, I'm saying yes to Jesus and no to the world. And, like, that's why when God's word talks about marriage, it's saying marriage is a picture of God's unity, God's unfaithful love to the church, his bride. And our baptism is like almost like our marriage ceremony with Jesus Christ of saying, Jesus, I'm saying yes to you and no to the world. I'm saying yes to you and no to myself. And not that we're going to be perfect in that, just like in our worldly marriages and relationships, but that's what we're talking about. And that's a little doctrinal sidecar to this, but like, it's important to remember what it means to follow Jesus and what our relationship with him is all about. I mean, I was on my Apple News app. I'm like an old man. Like, when I'm like bored, I'm like, history documentary or news? You know, like, has anybody hit that point? Like, you know, you're like, no, I'm the only one. That's great. Uh, talk to your dad. I feel like I resonate with like the, the commercials with like the dads who are like training, like, you know, how to be cool, like the other appearance, what, what are the insurance commercial or whatever those are. Anyway. So I'm scrolling through, I, once I get bored, I just read like goofy headlines, and you know, on Apple News, it just feeds you all the things, and like goes to like the, the, the celebrity thing, and I just scroll past, and I just saw a headline, I've never seen this show, but I, it just made me think of it as I was preparing for this, it was like, wife of the sister wives guy is filing for divorce, and you're like, okay, the guy who's married to multiple people, one of the women in that relationship got really upset, and she's filing for divorce, yeah, they're like, no, duh, <laughs> like that sounds terrible, like, you're like, man, like, shocker. But if you think about it, like, it's a stupid scenario. Like, she signed herself up to be married to a guy who's married to another woman, who's married to another person. It's like living in a constant affair of cheating on each other that you are, you're just in this vortex. Like, that sounds crazy. But is that not what we do with God sometimes in our life? Like, that we have God, and we're married to this, and we have these things in our life, and, 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 and like, it doesn't work. I know it sounds insane, and it's kind of a stupid picture to think of, but what we do with God in our life, like, 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 that's how he feels, I think. And that's why James is talking so powerfully 
about this. But when you think about cheating, you don't do it on purpose. Like, I, I, you know, I don't think anybody who's ever really cheated on their spouse just woke up and was like, you know what, I'm going to cheat on my spouse today. Like, it doesn't work like that. Like, it's a slow fade. Like, things start great, and it's passionate, and it's hot, and you're having a blast, and you're super interested, and it's new, and then all that stuff that you fell in love with kind of starts to be kind of annoying after a while. And then you start to fight, and then you don't figure it out, and then you start to think, like, tell yourself little lies, like, maybe I deserve something different. Like, maybe there's something better for me out there. And then you let those lies brew up inside of you. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not talking from personal experience, but having friends who have walked through that, that's the progression. And I have a question for you. Has your relationship with Jesus ever gone through that progression? Have you ever felt a slow fade in your relationship with God where, like, it started off great. Like, I first started reading my Bible, and it was like, you know, like, 2 Corinthians 5, I'm a new creation in Christ. What does that mean? And now you're... 500 sermons in, and you've read through the Bible a couple times, and it's just not, your quiet time's just not hitting the same. And, and your time in prayer and worship, just like, is God really there? And I'm going to be totally honest, like, I, I have struggled with this in my life the most, not so much those two, but this one, that maybe something difficult has happened to you, and you're like, where was God in that? And like, how do I, is God really there? Like, I know the facts, but like, is he really there? And you start to like almost dream like, man, what would my life be like without Jesus again? Or like, was it so bad before? And we see that all through the Bible. And it's a slow drift in our life away when the commands of Jesus feel heavy and when they feel dull and that draw to the world seems so powerful that the attractiveness and really, like the, it feels like almost like the sexiness of the world starts to pull us away. Whether it's, And I don't know what it is for you, what you want, what are the worldly things that you feel like are kind of pulling at your heart? Maybe it's financial success. You know, like, it's easy for me on my YouTube algorithm to just, like, see, like, the stock stuff and the money stuff and the car stuff and the job things. And it's like, I want that. Why is my life not like that? I want that. And you start, like, you start almost, like, lusting after that. Or maybe for you it's the relationship thing or, or wanting to, you know, like, wanting to date other people or, or, like, be sexually intimate with other people. Or I don't know what that thing is that you're like, man, if I just didn't have, like, this, you, you get to this place sometimes where you feel like if I didn't have this, like, Jesus thing in my life, then I could maybe chase after some of these things. I, I'm, I'm speaking from experience. I don't know if any of it has ever felt that way. But I felt that way. And I'm challenged by scripture. I think of a scripture in 1 John 2 verses 15 and 16. It says this, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And y'all, this is a hard question to chew on, but I have to ask it delivering this message, is do you love the world? Do you love parts of the world? Do you have a friendship with certain parts of it that you're just wrestling with, and does it consume your thoughts at times? Does, do you feel like there's something that, like, when I ask that question, is there's a thing that you're like, I know that's the thing, I know that's the pull, I just want you to be aware of it, and I want you to hold that thing in your mind, and because I just want to give you a warning, I have to being somebody who preaches God's word, like, I don't know exactly what this means, but I do know that the text is clear, that he says if we're friends with the world, that we're enemies with God. Like, that's one of those weird verses that I don't really know exactly what that looks like, and I don't really know what that means, but I just want to encourage you that those things can exist, and that God doesn't want to share you with anyone, 
And like that's the motivation because as we see this, he says, do you suppose that, it's, that, it, that it is no purpose that Scripture says that he yearns jealously over the spirit that he made to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? Guys, God is a jealous God for you. Like God cares about you. God doesn't want to share you with the world. That God sent his son Jesus to die for you. Like, that, that it doesn't come out of this, like, selfishness, that God understands that his perfect love is exactly what you need, that it's better than the world. That later on in that John passage, it says that the things of this world are passing away. I mean, I've been thinking a lot about this this week. Like, like with everything going on in Israel and Palestine, I'm like, I don't know what's going on in the world. I just don't know how much time I got left. Like, it's a weird time to be alive. It's a weird time to be a Christian. I just want to encourage you that while we have time, that while you are still alive and you wake up every day, that you would make a choice to say, I want to love God and not the world each and every single day. And I'm saying it's worth it because of who God is. Like, God is an amazing God. He's not like a three strikes and you're done. Like, hey, if you cheat on me one more time, I'm walking out. That's the way worldly relationships work. But that God is a God of faithfulness, that God's desire for you will never fail, that he will never stop loving you no matter what you've done. And I know there are some of you in this room that have some dark stuff in your life and in your past that you don't want anybody to know about, that you feel like can keep you from loving God or God loving you. But I want to tell you, you have no idea the kind of love and grace that God has for you. I mean, I think about the prodigal son story, right? Like, that story is so powerful. Like, of the son, he's like, give me my money. I don't care about you. I'm going to go blow this on hookers in Vegas. That's what he did. He, he freaking, like, gunned the worldly pedal. And when he ran out of it, and he realized that it didn't satisfy him, and he's like, gosh, like, my dad was good. And he goes back home, and he's got the thing. Like, when he goes back to his dad, what does he do? Does he lock the door? Does he cuss at him? Does he beat him? Does he hit him? Does he say, I don't want you in here. Get out. You left me. You're never coming back. There's a lot. Some of you guys maybe have had that happen in your life with your dads. I don't know. But I want to encourage you to see that story that in Luke chapter 15, verse 20, it says this, that he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. It's, the, it's this amazing passage that we see of the heart of God. That God is waiting for you to not stay on that path of worldliness anymore. And to come back on the path of godliness to say, it doesn't matter in your past that like, it doesn't matter what today was, what yesterday was. That God is waiting for you to come back to him. Why? Because at the start of verse 6, but he gives more grace. Like, y'all, that's the gospel. Like, do you know that? Like, that's the gospel. Like, the grace when we don't deserve it. Like, God did that for us when he sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. That when Jesus died and he was buried and rose again as a payment for our sin, like, that's grace. That we, like, I'm with you. Like, I struggle with worldliness in my life. I struggle with the desires in my heart. I'm not perfect. I sin every day. But I know that God's grace is sufficient and will never run out on me because that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's because of that radical love that he showed. Think about that verse, John three sixteen. You ever heard that verse? For God so loved the... God knows that you're struggling with worldliness. But that's why he sent Jesus, his one and only son, to die for you, that if anyone would believe in him, 
And I want to encourage you, if you've believed in him, that he would love you, that he's invited you into a place to have eternal life. Because he doesn't want you to perish on the path to worldliness. That God has more for you than that. And that the farther down you go, my prayer is that God will convict you and show you the goodness and amazing beauty of following Jesus unlike anything else in your life. The third warning sign we see is to watch out for pride and to humble ourselves. It says that he gives us more grace, therefore it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. James here gives us kind of a sobering warning to watch out for pride in our life. And I don't know if you're like me, but pride can show up in my life in a lot of ways. Like in my marriage, when I'm arguing with Robin about something and I feel like I'm right and I feel like she's not, like that's, that's pride in my life. When I'm at work and I'm struggling with the work thing, yes, I have issues with other people that work at the church with me sometimes and I think I'm right. Like that's pride in my life. But what James is talking about here is really this idea of pride of not submitting to the will of God in your life. And if we're not careful, we can let pride sneak into our life and just get in the way of our relationship with God. And, and I just want you to know, like I've felt that so many times. And I have a question for you. Just as we begin to wrap up our time is how have you seen pride show up in your life? What is some worldliness and some things that you have been letting come into your life that have been pressing on you maybe during this message? Is there something that God is calling you to stop doing? Is there something that God is calling you to start doing? I don't know what the application point for you is going to be, but I can tell you if there's one thing that's going to keep you from taking action on that, it's going to be your pride. Because when we get prideful, it's that little excuse generator in our life that's like, I mean, a little sin in my life is not that big of a deal. At least I'm not doing this. Right, we, we, we think like that. You know, like, I don't want people to know about my sin because then I would have to have all these hard conversations and, and then I would be embarrassed. It's like, it's our pride that keeps us from coming back to God. It's why James is saying, like, we have to humble ourselves before the Lord. It's so important. And can I tell you something about pride? Like, it is the number one tool that our spiritual enemy, the devil, uses in our life because he knows it's the thing that will keep you from going back to the Father. It's our pride. And guys, if you don't hear anything else tonight, I want you to know it says that God opposes the proud, but he gives his miraculous grace to the humble. And I don't know about you guys, but like I desperately need the grace of God in my life. Like I can't win the fight against worldliness without God's grace in my life. Like I can't fix the brokenness inside of me without God's grace. Like, like that is what this all depends on. Is like God's grace given to us in the gospel. Like God's grace given to us in his Holy Spirit to help us fight these battles. God's grace to give us strength to have hard conversations with people. To open up about things in our life that we need to share. So that we can find healing and restoration. Guys, we need the grace of God in our life. And if you're here and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. And have really experienced the grace of God in your life please do not leave here without talking to somebody. There's like an army of people with lanyards out here that just want to have a spiritual conversation with you. You can come up and talk to me and we would love to help explain to you how to receive God's grace into your life and to make a decision to follow Jesus with your life. Because you can't do this last part and I'm going to invite the band to come forward as we close. Because this is the encouraging part of this passage and 
It's our fourth, not really a warning, but just a sign that he has for us. And it's to draw near to God. James 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He goes on to say, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. And I debated sharing this story because it's kind of a weird story. Um, but I am a youth pastor, so you're here with me now. You're stuck. And I have to tell you a couple goofy stories. But I'm going to walk earlier this week. And, I, and I, like, I had a busy day. I had to go home. I had to let my dogs out. And I was like, I had, like, I had to eat my lunch. And, and, I had, and I have two big dogs. I have a Rottweiler and, like, a pit bull. I don't have a meth lab in my basement, I promise. But I've got these big monster dogs, and they're just, like, bad on the leash. So, like, I'm always kind of, like, getting pulled. And I, like, I grabbed a couple doggy bags because I'm walking through the neighborhood. And my Rottweiler takes probably the largest dump I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> I know. Bear with me. Bear with me with this story. And I pull out the first bag, and I'm like, oh, gosh. Like, you know, business as usual, hole in the bottom of the bag. And I'm like, gosh, dang it. And so I kind of like cover it and I pull out my second, my, I got my, my clip. It's like I'm in battle. I got, I got one magazine left. And I pull out my other bag, hole in the bag. <laughs> and I'm just like, what do I get? I, sh- I, I, I probably should have just left it, but I was trying to be a good neighbor. And I just freaking picked up this mount. And I'm just like, I, I hit this point where I'm like, I'm carrying it. I'm completely covered in poop. My dogs are pulling. I have my headphones on. I was like listening to a podcast. So I go, ah, like I couldn't, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm stuck, and I'm covered in dog crap. It's all over my hands, and I literally can't do anything. I, I, like, I was expecting a phone call. I couldn't answer the phone. I was like, I'm covered. In, I'm definitely not going to eat lunch because I got a bunch of poop on my hands. And I like waddle back to the house, and I cannot tell you the feeling that I had when I ran to the sink and just like rebaptized myself in Dawn dish soap, and I was just like, oh, my gosh, now I can get on with my life. Like It was like, so... I know that sounds really stupid, but that's what sin is in your life. It totally, completely immobilizes you from doing and becoming who God wants you to be. And it, I know, like, some of you guys in your life, you're like, I'm, like, covered in it. Like, my past, like, I got so much sin in my life, I've just got it, like, it's not just on my hands, like, it's over my whole body, and I'm still processing that, and I don't know what to do with that, and some of you guys are, like, buttoned up to a T, and your stuff's, like, I don't know where you got your, like, you know, know, your poopy, it's not in your hands, but it's somewhere in your life, and you're, like, you just feel kind of dead inside because of that. And others of you may be more like me, where you're like, I'm trying. I'm waking up every day, and I'm on the path, but I just keep struggling with this, and I keep fighting this. And you just got to, like, I got to keep, like, going back to the grace of God. And I just want to tell you, when, when James, in this passage, says to clean your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, that it's out of a place of love. Because the command in the Scripture is to draw near to God. And I love it that he tells you to do that first because that's how we clean our hands because that's the gospel that you can't clean your hands on your own that you can't get the sin out of your life on your own and the amazing message of the gospel is that the father's arms are open inviting you to be drawn back to him to be forgiven for your sin to have a fresh start every single day and to leave the path of worldliness behind And to say, yes, Jesus, I choose you over anything else in my life. 
So I don't know what you need to do tonight, and as the band's going to lead us in worship, I just want to challenge you with that last verse in James to humble yourself before the Lord because he will exalt you to draw near to the Lord, and he will draw near to you. So how do you need to respond? Do you need to confess something to God in order to leave the path of worldliness behind? And that's some work you might just need to do with the Lord in your own heart at your seat or go out in the lobby or in the back of the room or something. Maybe you need to process that tonight when you go home in your car. Some of you guys maybe need to go just pull a friend that you came with and have a hard conversation with them and say like, hey, I'm struggling. Like, I need prayer. Like, I got a lot of stuff on my hands I can't carry on my own. Like, maybe you need to do that in this time. Others of you simply just need to draw close to the Lord and enjoy his presence and experience his nearness and know that that's possible because of God's amazing, never-ending grace for us.